please stand for the reading of the gospel? Our gospel lesson comes from Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning with the first verse. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? from cowardice that dares not face new truth, from laziness content with half-truth, from arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. Good Lord, deliver us. Amen. Jesus tells this story. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Uh, all through the summer, we've been looking at the <coughs> excuse me, passages of Scripture that speak of vines and vineyards. Uh, and here's this story today. It takes place in a vineyard, but mostly it is about a fig tree. Uh, I've been asking myself a question all week long. Sometimes you probably wonder, what am I doing to prepare for a sermon? And here's the question I've been asking this week. What is a fig tree doing in the middle of a vineyard? Think about it, right? Fig trees are pretty big. I was hearing this morning about a fig tree that is as large as the stage in Carpenter Hall. They were huge trees, lots of shade, and they have incredibly deep root systems, 10, 15 feet from the base of the tree that would have consumed most of the nutrients in the soil so why? Why would you have a fig tree in the middle of your vineyard? Turns out it's more common than you might think, especially in the ancient Near East. In fact, there are several references in the Old Testament uh, to a future in which each person would sit underneath his own vine or her own vine and fig tree. It's an image of prosperity and peace. Each person, their own vine, their own fig tree. Any Hamilton fans, musical fans, anybody? So my wife, is, she knows all the lyrics. We were talking about this. She said, you know George Washington sings about this. He says, I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree. Did a little research. 
Turns out George Washington spoke of his own vine and fig tree over 50 different times in the course of his uh, correspondence and speech making in his lifetime. He referred to Mount Vernon, his home, as his little vine and fig tree. Vines uh, and fig trees. What is the purpose of having a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard? Turns out uh, there are actually quite a, a number of good reasons to put a fig tree in a vineyard. Uh, one is to possibly, now you listen to these, I don't know the first thing about growing a vineyard or planting a fig tree for that matter, but I've done some research. You may have, you can tell me whether any of these sound legitimate or not. Uh, apparently it's possible that you could plant a fig tree in the hopes of saving the grapes from the birds. The birds would try to peck at the, at the grapes, but if you had the fig tree, they would probably be more enticed by a fig than a grape, so they might go for the figs and leave the grapes alone. I mentioned these incredibly uh, deep roots, uh, and the incredible deep intricate root system of a fig tree would have prevented soil erosion in a vineyard. Uh, these roots are incredibly aggressive. They could survive in really poor soil, which is actually the same as can be true of, of vines. So maybe some people think that it's possible that if you were going to plant a vineyard in the ancient times, you would have started by planting a fig tree, see how the tree does, and if it survives, added the vines later. Um, the, the tree itself, as it grew, uh, the limbs, the branches would have become a natural trellis uh, to get those vines to chase down that tree. I heard about a vineyard owner this week who says that he always looks to his fig tree to know when to harvest the grapes. That actually, uh, you can look at a grape, but he says, I get a better sense from watching my tree, and I know when to go harvest the grapes. There are all kinds of uses for a fig tree in a vineyard. All kinds of reasons to put a fig tree in a vineyard. But what Jesus says this vineyard owner is all about are the figs. Like where is the fruit? The context for this story is really interesting. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he will face the cross and the crowds are around him, and these crowds gather around Jesus, and they begin talking about some tragedies that have happened, and they discuss it with Jesus. There have been many people who have died, great tragedies, and they're talking, and Jesus finally stops them and says, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You believe that this is God's work, that God is punishing them for their sinfulness, that somehow those that died over here in this great tragedy, that they were bigger sinners or worse sinners than anybody else? Let me just be clear, Jesus says, that is not the way God works. We hear this kind of thing all the time. We, we tend to think it, right, that somehow like God causes the pain and suffering we experience in our life. It's just not true. It's not what God does. I heard it not too long ago. Newspaper, heard a guy on the radio saying it, right? Like uh, Uvalde, those kids in Uvalde died because we've taken God out of schools and God is punishing us. That's just not right. It's not how God works. Jesus makes that very clear this morning. That is not the way God works. I might add parenthetically, um, that to say something like that 
like we've taken God out of schools, just lets us know how much we think of ourselves, right? That we, we are capable of, of taking God or putting God out of anything. Um, I went to school for 18 years in North Carolina public schools, and I'll tell you right now, I prayed almost every single day when I sat down to eat lunch. I did. Probably the way Jesus told us to pray. Remember what he said? When you pray, go into your closet, what, in secret. Doesn't have to be a big show. We can't take God out of schools. We can't take prayer out of schools. Okay, I digress. That's not why we're here today. Um, but that's the kind of argument they're having. Like, oh, they must have been bigger sinners over there. And Jesus says, no, that's not how God works. But, he adds, um, everybody needs to repent. <laughs> everybody needs to turn and get right with God. And then he says, uh, let, me, let me just tell you a story about this man. He's got a vineyard and a fig tree in his vineyard. So he tells that story right after he says you need to repent. What's the point? Is the point of the story, right, like, okay, you've got a little more time. God's going to give you one more chance. Well, that might be a good, this might be a good story to tell to make such a point. Except, I don't know if you noticed it, but we never find out what this vineyard owner is going to do. Will he cut the tree down or will he heed the manager's advice, his pleading? I mean, are we meant to imagine that God is like the, the landowner, the vineyard owner? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe Jesus is just telling us a story about a fig tree and a manager who sees great value in keeping it, even though it has not borne much fruit. I already told you, we've been talking about it, right? There are a whole host of reasons to plant fig trees in vineyards. And a lot of them don't have anything to do with bearing fruit. That manager seems to be tuned in to all the uses for a tree that everybody else is ready to get rid of. Here's the way one preacher put it. She said, perhaps the fig tree is like those of us who are unproductive, those of us who are not worth much in the eyes of the world. And maybe we are called to tend and fertilize the trees in hopes that fruit will emerge. Or maybe we're called to convince the powerful, bottom-line-oriented people to put away their axes. I love that. Like the calling of the church, right? I fear, because this has happened to me. People say, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm the pastor down at First United Methodist Church of Belmont. And they say, well, I'd love to come to your church, but the people down there, they have got their lives together. And I look at them and say, have you been to our church? Like, <laughs> look at me. Like, I don't have it all together. Come on. I think people do that. You get it in your mind. Like, you, gotta, you can only come to church when you're fruitful. Or you say, like, you come here, and maybe we do this, that we kind of pressure you, and you start to think, like, the whole thing is you've got to be this spiritual superhero, the prize-winning spiritual fig tree of 2022. I mean, is that what Jesus is trying to do here? Like, get it together, people. Come on, one more chance. The theologian James Keenan observes that if you read the Bible— you read the Gospels, Jesus rarely comes along and condemns you if you're trying. 
the only people he ever really seems to get on to, to condemn, are the strong, comfortable people who don't even bother. James Keenan says, for his money, that's a pretty good definition of sin, a failure to bother. There was a theologian in the 11th century, St. Simeon, the new theologian, and he said, I wonder what would have happened. This is amazing to me. I wonder what would have happened if Adam and Eve, when they ate from that fruit and realized their sinfulness, realized they were naked, I wonder what would have happened if they had fallen on their knees and said, Lord God Almighty, please have mercy on us. Tell us what we need to do. Forgive us. We know you're going to love us. Just tell us what we need to do. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They were afraid. They didn't bother. They were busy sowing, ironically, fig leaves and hiding from God. They were hiding from God because they were afraid of God. And the people Jesus is talking to this morning seem to have that same image of God. God is someone to be afraid of. A God who will punish you for your sins. A God who, in fact, God's kind of got this uh, equation worked out in their mind. The bigger the sin, the worse the punishment. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let me tell you about this fig tree. That <laughs> this fig tree produces no fruit. And the manager, somehow, it's amazing. It's just grace, amazing. Somehow this manager sees value, wants to keep it wants to let it live. The motivation for a life of faith, I might get in trouble for saying this, the motivation for the life of faith really cannot be a God who's out to get you a God who's out to punish you, a God who's out to punish you and me for the severity of our sins. Thomas Aquinas said centuries ago, he said, we become what we worship. And there are a lot of Christians, I'm just going to say it, who I think, if you look at Christians today, a lot of us are mean and angry and judgmental and impatient. And I think it's in large part because that's the kind of God we're worshiping. We believe God is impatient, unmerciful, ungracious, and so that's what we become. But that's not what we've done here this morning. If you've been paying attention, we're praising God, worshiping God for God's faithfulness, God's extravagant mercy. Great is thy faithfulness, we sang, God's goodness. And the hope, right, is that we become more like that God, we become more like Jesus Christ. The real sadness when you think God's out to get you is you miss out on, on a God who really is merciful and patient, never in a hurry, always willing to wait. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is from Paul's writing in the second letter to the Corinthians, and he says this beautiful thing, almost kind of just blurts it out. He says, if, anyone's in, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. James Martin is a spiritual writer, 
And he said that he was really frustrated with the progress he was making in his spiritual life. So he went to his pastor, and, and the pastor said, you see that tree, James? That tree is barren right now, but in a few months' time, it's going to bloom, and nobody will see it happen. Almost like you can't rush these things. You can't rush these things. New creation takes God's patience, God's mercy, God's willingness to wait for you. Can I just say this morning, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and that means there is nothing there is nothing that God will not do, that God has not done to get to you, to help you, to help you and me become the people we are called to be. There's this other cool thing Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says, God, God started a good work in you and God will be faithful to complete it. God will be faithful. God will be patient. One of my dad's favorite poets was W.H. Uh, Auden. W.H. Auden said this once. He said, perhaps there's only one cardinal sin, and that is impatience. Because of impatience, we were driven out of paradise. And because of impatience, we cannot return. Maybe that's what we really need. Like that pastor said, we need to practice being patient with one another, patient with ourselves. I don't know about you, but there are days, I had days this past week where I felt like that barren fig tree. Right, you're looking around like, why are you, where, where are you supposed to be, George? Where do you fit in this vineyard? You don't seem to have much fruit. This is all the stuff we say, and, and you're trying to figure out, and maybe what God's telling us is like, be patient. I have started a good work in you, and I will be faithful to complete it until that moment when somebody just looks and says, new creation, new creation. If you get to feeling that way about yourself or about somebody else, and you look to the world, hey, the world's got the axes ready. The world's ready to give up on us, ready to convince us to give up on each other. But you come here and we say, because it's what God says, hey, put the axes down. Just be patient. Patience. Did you see the images from that web telescope this week? Anybody see those? Just amazing. Like we know that God created the world now what, at least 13 billion years ago. God has been tending God's creation for at least 13 billion years. It's a little perspective on a God who is patient. God who is faithful. God who still holds us in the palm of his hands and is looking for fruit, looking for life. My Aunt Nancy died this year, and I was uh, remembering <laughs> Nancy had this little lemon tree in her sun porch. She was so excited when she got it, and I would come over, and we'd watch that little lemon tree. It sat there for years, and I think in all the time I ever saw it, there maybe was, I remember one lemon, 
And y'all, I'm going to be honest, I am convinced that she taped that lemon on that tree. <laughs> Just such a strange thing to remember, right? This tree, and it sat there for years with one lemon in the exact same place right there on it. Do you, ever, do you have stuff like that and it just pops into your mind? This popped into my head a few months ago and I was laying there thinking about that lemon tree and it dawned on me that lemon tree was dead. <laughs> it had been dead for a long time and she held on to it. But it was dead. What do you do with a dead lemon tree? Got me thinking, maybe that fig tree in that vineyard, I wonder if it was dead too. What do you do with a dead tree? Well, according to Jesus this morning, you love it. You care for it. Maybe you find some other use for it. Give it some time. Be patient with it. Because it turns out what God loves to do, and actually what God does best, is bring new life out of death. Amen.